just about a week's time, Microsoft is going to unveil its next version of Windows. And all rumors and evidence point to it being called Windows 11. That's right, with this release, Redmond is cranking it to 11. I'm Jason Cipriani with co-host Jason Perlow, and we have a special guest today, ZDNet columnist Ed Bott, who's been covering Microsoft forever to talk about what he thinks or what we think is coming in the latest release. Jason, I am so freaking excited about this new release. You have no idea. <laughs> I, 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 it's, it, it's like it's, it's a, it's, it's going to be like a national holiday, you know, no. when this thing comes out. I, I sense a lot of sarcasm, but <laughs> let me just say, I look. I other than the invite that was like kind of leaked and sent out a few weeks ago, that was a teaser of their being a big Windows 11 announcement, I don't really know much about what's going on with it. Well, that was until Windows 11 leaked earlier this week. And it, I had a ton of fun watching Twitter fill up with screenshots and hot takes and all the other stuff uh, that they have found in this early preview of Windows 11. It looks like a big interface design with maybe some interesting new features. Actually, if you want to know the truth, I think it looks like a mix of Windows 10 X that we saw a couple years ago, along with Mac OS. It just looks like Microsoft took those and combined them a little bit. Well, <clears throat> I'm really sorry that I have to disappoint you guys. Uh, but, you know, this, uh, you see Windows 11 and you think, okay, big bang release, right? Because that's what that's what Microsoft used to do back in the day. Um, you know, there was a big release that came out. It shipped in shrink wrap boxes, went to the masses, got installed, and then it stayed like that for like another two or three years. And, you know, when another big bang release would come out, usually you had to pay for those upgrades. Well, that, you know, that whole... Big Bang era ended about six years ago when Windows 10 came out. And the whole idea of Windows 10 was Windows as a service. You get a feature update every six months. And instead of having all these features that they work on for years, and then they all appear at once in a single big release, uh, they're showing up in manageable doses every six months. You can skip an update, a feature update every six months or so, but you know, basically, at the end of that three years, you sort of have the equivalent of what you used to get with those big upgrades. But it's been delivered to you incrementally, and so you don't even notice, um, you know, all, all the changes. But you know, one thing about this leaked build that you know we should be a little cautious about is that people download a link build, they install it. And the thing that they focus on is what's obvious. And that's the user experience stuff. So yeah, the, uh, the taskbar has been uh, all grouped into the center, kind of mm -hmm. like the Mac dock and yeah. the start buttons over there in the center along with it. And instead of having all those live tiles that used to pop up when you click start, now there's a, a much cleaner uh, you know, rectangle of icons in the center of the screen. So that's what everyone's focus on, focusing on, but we don't know what else is under the hood. We don't know what else is going to be delivered as a service. And we don't know what's on the roadmap for later because you can't see those when you install, uh, you know, a leaked build from some random internet source. Let me just say, hold on, let me just say, 
live tiles being gone is like my favorite part of what's leaked so far. I, I Live tiles were incredibly annoying to me. And I use Windows all the time. I, you know, I, I work on a, a wide range of devices, but live tiles were one of the things I just could never get behind. But go ahead, Perlo. <sighs> Jason, I, I love live tiles. First Not of all, me, that was man. the thing. I, I, lo- I love the Windows phone. And that was all about what the Windows phone. So now they're just yeah. taking the last vestiges of Windows phone away from us. They're just going to keep, you know, shoving that 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 dagger in and turn it around, you know. At, Good riddance. Oh, uh, gosh. And it, it can't be that this thing is a glorified theme pack. How could it possibly be that? Are you telling me Microsoft would spend an ungodly amount of money on marketing and advertising, dragging all its industry partners into something that's basically a theme pack? I mean, that's crazy. Come on. So, so the you know the funny thing about this is that th- this this thing that's coming out could just as easily have could just as easily be released as another feature update to Windows 10. They could just keep going. So the question is, you know, why go from 10 to 11 now? And there's a you know there's a couple of reasons, but you know Occam's razor says that the simplest reason for it is that uh, you know it's been six years, the market is kind of taking Windows 10 for granted. They're they've kind of got baked in some of the you know whatever annoyances people have with it, including live tiles, which by the way there will be a switch so you can turn them back on if you want them. <laughs> Yay, Perlo. Yay, Perlo. You get it mm. um, there. But, you know, uh, so so the most obvious thing that's going to be in this feature update is the, the interface stuff. But really what this does is it makes it look different. It makes the experience just like, hey, wait a minute. That doesn't look like the Windows 10 that I've been using for the past two, three, five, six years. And people, so, and that gives the OEM partners an excuse to have some nice flashy promos this fall. <laughs> Meanwhile, the rest of the stuff, the stuff that was in, was going to be in Windows 10X, uh, which got canceled, uh, all that stuff can dribble out into this new thing called Windows 11 with more feature updates over the next year or two or three or five. So that, you know, maybe right now, Windows 11, it looks like it's just a theme pack. But, you know, let's revisit this in a year and in two years and in three years. And you should start seeing some of the other stuff coming that's on that roadmap. And hopefully, the platform will change enough to, you know, sort of justify the the new name there. But for right now, as far as I'm concerned, the biggest reason to do this is to get people excited about buying PCs this fall. Yeah. So, you know, I, I you know, back, you know, I read your article from earlier and I understand, you know, there was a, a method to the madness of why Microsoft pushed upgrade cycles. And a lot of that was, you know, to wipe away the stains of bad versions of Windows, you know, and 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 to push that PC upgrade cycle forward um, with every release, right? So in this case, you know, we don't really have any stains to wash away here, right? Windows 10 is an extremely solid operating system, right? And, yeah, and it has, and it's been continuously advanced over the last five years. If we look at what Windows 10 looked like, you know, in 2015, 
when it came out versus what it looks like now. It's really only resembles it in name. They've made a lot of changes to it, a lot of incremental improvements. Um, and, you know, the it's a very solid operating system. Um, the, and the hardware that PCs have today is actually quite impressive. You know, and Windows 10 takes advantage of that all already. So I think we can make an argument, you know, for wanting to put a spark in that PC upgrade cycle because the inertia has been slowing down for a while due to a lot of different reasons, right? But I think, so the if we're talking about having stains to wash away, it's got nothing to do with Windows. I think the stain has been this 16 months of he pandemic hell and whatever the, the crazy junk the world has been throwing at us for the last four years, you know, to put it bluntly. So maybe this is more of a, you know, a celebratory moment for Microsoft, you know, for the company to say, hey, look, it's okay to go back in the water. Here's a new flashy looking bathing suit to get you started. Oh, and while you're at it, go shave and get a haircut, right? So I, I think there's this natural desire though from, I think from the, 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 the computer industry, the, the media, right? All our, 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 uh, our yellow journalists that work, you know, in, in different publications uh, to see, you know, tangible changes, right? Especially if you compare the PC platform to the Mac. I looked at the Apple has done an insane amount of changes and 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 stuff to their products in the last two years. Okay, so we we've seen them make an architecture change, right? They switched architectures from x86 to, to ARM to, to Apple Silicon. They made significant performance improvements in the CPU with the power consumption when they went to that architecture. Um, they introduced an emulation layer for x86 called Rosetta. They introduced this catalyst thing so iPad apps can run on the Mac. Uh, they added sandboxing and containerization to Silicon Macs. So a lot of armchair folks are just hoping that Microsoft will do something like that. But in the PC's case, doesn't make sense to wipe the slate completely clean, right? Right, exactly. This is, you know, this is the classic innovator's dilemma, right? Because you've got, you've got a huge, but you know, there's a there's a billion PCs more or less out there running Windows. Most of them running Windows 10. Most of them, uh, or you know, the majority of them at least, running business apps, uh, especially these line of business apps and enterprises. And you can't just dump all that legacy stuff. You can't just say, "Hey, guess what? We're coming out with something new and uh, and flashy, and none of your old stuff will work." But you wanted to change it anyway. That works in in uh, in in the Mac OS ecosystem where you know the, you don't you you don't have that much you don't have that sort of managed level of of history to to work with uh, and to and to rely on you know people say oh okay something new got to spend a little more money they're accustomed to that you can't get away with that on the PC side uh, so you got consumer and business workloads you know but what's funny is that uh, you ticked off a lot of the architectural changes that have gone into the Mac. Yep. A whole bunch of those changes are sitting in Windows right now, sort of waiting to be yeah. um, switched on and, and surfaced, um, and in some cases, performance tuned. For example, Windows 10 runs on ARM PCs. Yes, and it does pretty well. And it does pretty well, but it doesn't have the, you know, it, it, from a performance standpoint, it it struggles a little bit, and mm -hmm. they've been trying to get the the 64-bit emulation working, and they still 
haven't shipped that. And I think performance is probably the reason for that. Well, you know, Apple owns the entire platform. They own the silicon. You know, if there's a problem with the silicon and the OS, um, they can say, well, we can, well, we're going to make these changes over here in the software, and we're going to make these changes over here in the, in the silicon. And we're also, by the way, going to change the supporting chips, you know, in between those, and they can fine tune yeah. the entire ecosystem. Microsoft with Windows basically has to go out to Qualcomm and say, let's look at that Snapdragon and see how we're going to make it work together with Windows. And you're not going to be able to go into those Qualcomm engineers and say, we want a totally custom chip that is fine-tuned to work with Windows. Qualcomm's going to say, we're selling you know, billions of these to phone manufacturers. How many ARM PCs are you going to sell next year? And you know, the number's just not that big for them. So that's, you know, that's probably the biggest reason on, you know, on stuff like ARM containerization the mac yeah. has it built in at a base level windows has it too but it's only partially implemented at this point you know like windows defender uh application guard has that there um there's you know installer technologies that do a good job of of sandboxing apps if they're delivered uh you know if they're delivered through the store or in what's called msix packages so you know you've got a lot of innovation that's sitting there under the hood but um it it it, it tends to move into the mainstream very slowly whereas with apple they just go hey here's you know here's your new mac os and yeah. all this stuff's turned on go for it yeah and, and, and look all this stuff as you say you know businesses depend on cannot break Okay, it's easy for a company like Apple, you know, to toss apps that were written older than 10 years ago, right? I mean, they already decided with Catalina, which is what was that, like two versions back from, from whatever this Monterey thing is, that they would throw out. Monterey. A, yeah, that they would throw out. I'm, I'm kind of annoyed at it today because it, it, it was giving me fits. Uh, that, they, that they would throw out a lot of these old APIs and frameworks, right? So if you didn't upgrade apps as a developer or as an end user, you were out of luck, right? So, but that doesn't work that way in the business world. You know, when you have you know, tens of thousands of vertical industry apps, right? And in-house applications that are 20 years old in terms of their basic code base, right? You know, older in some cases, right? Um, Apple also does not have a server operating system, right? That runs on the same basic architecture as that runs stuff in the cloud or in data centers as Microsoft customers do, right? So, and Apple also doesn't have a hyperscale commercial cloud business, right? That has to be able to run legacy cloud, you know, as Microsoft does, right? So, or a business application unit, you know, with Office 365 or Microsoft 365, which all this stuff still needs to work when Windows 11 comes out. So while we can say that Microsoft needs to take a page from Apple, right? Reality, when, when Microsoft has to decide to introduce a new version of Windows, they have a whole different set of things they need to be concerned about, So right? So they could introduce a new Windows architecture based on ARM, you know, on containers and all that stuff to make Windows behave more like what Apple does with iPad and Mac OS on Silicon. But at the end of the day, they can't break things or it'll be a total disaster, right? Well, so isn't, that's, isn't uh, this part of their approach, though, in that in, in 
I think it's smart to announce Windows 11, but it also allows them to announce an end date for Windows 10, right? And get rid of some right. of that older hardware and give developers and hardware partners a cutoff date for when they need to have their stuff ready to transition as well, not just Microsoft. Yeah, and, and in fact, they have announced that date. It's, yeah. uh, it's October 20, I think it's October 24th, 2025. Yeah, I knew it was October 2025. I, I didn't realize they announced the specific date. That's pretty pretty gracious of that. Uh, might be the might be the 14th. There's a, it there's actually a formula for it and it's it's uh it's tied to patch Tuesday. Um, gotcha. so you know it's there there's the last patch. That that's the last patch Tuesday for the last version. But yeah, that's that's more than four years in the future. So they're basically, you know, giving developers, um, you know, a, a, a four year window. Okay. We're going to sunset this stuff in four years. And then, you know, it, the, the Delta between windows 10 and windows 11 is likely to be much smaller than the right. Delta between say, um, windows 10 and windows eight or windows eight and windows seven, both of which yeah. had pretty huge, architectural leaps uh you know built into them you know so it'll be you know it'll, it'll be an interesting thing to see what they deliver architecturally the changes in windows 11 where they say hey if you don't want this architecture change you can just keep windows 10 because i think you know we're going to have that the likelihood is we're going to have that going on uh you know for a while it won't be a mandatory upgrade but it's also I had I had some readers ask the question, so you know might as well bring it up right here. Um, the, you know the the usual it's the same sort of speculation that we had back in 2015 when they were getting ready to announce yeah. uh, Windows 10. Well, Microsoft here it is. They're finally they're going to start charging for upgrades. See, they've got it, no, they're not. <laughs> they're, <laughs> they're you know Microsoft makes its money on Windows right. in two ways. They sell licenses to OEMs mm -hmm. like Dell and HP and Lenovo and Microsoft. Uh, and, you know, those, those get paid. So you get one of the, you know, you get one of those licenses with every new PC that you buy and Microsoft got a check for that. And, uh, you know, they'll, they will also sell enterprise licenses to, uh, you know, for, for enterprise features of windows, but those are upgrades. You know, so, yeah. you, you know, if you're a, if you're an enterprise customer, you buy a new PC, it's got a windows license attached to it. And then you buy your enterprise upgrade license. And that gives you, you know, different manageability features, different enterprise connectivity features and something, but consumers and small businesses, uh, you know, I'm going to go out on a limb here and predict that ain't nobody going to have to pay for an upgrade to windows if, if you're a consumer or a small business. So Ed, much in the same way that the Windows 10 of 2021 only superficially resembles the Windows 10 of 2015, because of all those changes and rollouts that have happened over the last several years, you know, that, that may not be you know, transparent to end users, but we know of all the things that have happened under the hood. Um, instead of, of Microsoft waiting to mature and roll it out as one big change in Windows 11. You know, we're gonna we're going to go with the get customers used to a new look approach, and introduce all those changes incrementally, right? So really, this is Windows 10.5, but for marketing purposes, they want to call it Windows 11. And we also have to assume, as you said, 
because this is going to what's going to be a very short beta and rollout cycle, that this is not going to be a big deal license wise or an upgrade pain point wise, it's gonna feel just like another fall update, right? Presumably any PC hardware that's already running Windows 10 and it's gonna work, right? It doesn't sound like the kind of change that's gonna break apps or orphan PCs. If I have a PC that's running Windows today, at some point in the fall, Microsoft is gonna offer me some kind of an upgrade to Windows Update and it's gonna be painless just like any other fall update, correct? Uh, I think that's, that's 99.9% correct. Right, right, it is right. possible. I mean, yeah, it is possible that there are some very old hardware architectures yeah. that will not make the transition, like some, you know, maybe, I don't know, I'm, I'm just, you know, guessing here, but there are probably some old 32-bit designs, but maybe there yeah. won't even be a 32-bit, right. uh, you know, uh, version of this. They just go, you want to stick with 32-bit, uh, you know, it's Windows 10 only, you know, that, I mean, that's possible, but, but yeah, I mean, it's going to be the same underlying kernel. It's going to be the same underlying, you know, component structure for, you know, for Windows 10, you know, and then, and then the new stuff is going to appear next spring, you know, at the end of next year, you know, when those, right. those, those twice, those twice a year updates, that's where the new stuff arrives. Yeah. So let's get back to the things that we think are going to come to Windows 11 down the pike, right? After the novelty of this new bathing suit and haircut, like, wears off, right? After our beard starts growing back. I, I want to see some changes in security, right? And we, as you, as you have said to me, there is this sandboxing technology, uh, plus this well-established no MSIX stuff, right? This, this, it's the next generation of MSI packaging to make sure that app installers and, and apps, right, don't overstep their bounds, you know, when they're running. But not all these things are ready for prime time yet. So tell me this stuff is coming and when we think it's going to show up. I mean, uh, yeah, so that, you know, so here's a list. Um, we we talked about uh, well let's let's talk about that the the sandboxing uh, technology that stuff is there now right uh, you know developers can build uh, can build apps used to be called the desktop bridge now it's there's a you know there's a different name for it but the whole idea is that it it packages up a conventional desktop app and as long as the app uh, plays by the rules, doesn't try to install itself, you know, doesn't try to install services, doesn't right. try and dump its stuff in, um, in, you know, Windows system locations, it can all, you know, it can all be very neatly packaged inside your user profile, basically, with these clever virtual links that fool the operating system into thinking that you've installed, you know, these system files and stuff that, you know, those things can be delivered in any way. Uh, and right now they're delivered primarily through the Microsoft store, which nobody uses. So the biggest right. thing that I expect to hear Microsoft talking about next week is how they're going to fix the store, how they're going to fix the, the way that applications are delivered to customers. And that means consumers, small businesses, and enterprise businesses. The old store the current store doesn't work. And so the, no. you know, I expect to see a very big upgrade to that. And because that's a, you know, that's a server side thing with some, you know, some client side hooks for it. Uh, that's the sort of thing where we might see, you know, the point one release of that, 
uh, you know, followed by a 0.2.3, where it just gets better with age. Uh, I expect to see, uh, our, you know, massive improvement. We have to see massive improvements in arm support. Most mm, of yeah. the third party, you know, the third party hardware makers have kind of put the brakes on building any arm devices, at least for now. I haven't seen any come out. So it's possible that if they're getting close to delivering uh, windows on ARM that works a little better, maybe we'll see some ARM PCs coming at the end of this year or next year. Um, you know, th this, is, this is one that's kind of out of left field, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see some tighter connections to gaming services in mm -hmm. Windows 11. Microsoft has been making a real big push for PC gaming because it's a, it's a big niche for them, it's a big market. Uh, a lot of people, you know, treat the a lot of gaming enthusiasts treat the PC as the equal of a of a console. Uh, they've just come out with this Xbox Game Pass, it would which be is very fantastic. fantastic. Yeah, fantastic. very logical to see some tight connections between those, and then. And then who knows what else you're going to see coming from um, from Azure. There are, yeah. you know, as we, as you and I have talked about many times over the last couple of years, uh, Mr. Perlow, you know, there's this, there's virtual desktop technology that is mostly for enterprises right now. But if you can simplify and tweak that, you know, and reduce the complexity of it and reduce the, the friction of it, that's a technology that could really help consumers be able to Fantastic, use legacy yeah. apps. Yeah, they could use legacy apps without compromising the security of a system. So, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've, I've always felt that the holy grail is just some little cigarette, you know, uh, si or cigar sized box that sits on your desktop or is built into your monitor and you boot it up and everything is actually occurring within the cloud, within Azure. I mean, you'll get that desktop and everything and the responsiveness will be exactly as you expect it to be. But that thing, the, 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 the guts of it doesn't live in your house. You know I mean, what you basically have is effectively a terminal. And I think, I, I think that is where Microsoft wants to go eventually. I just think that, that there is a certain uh, ownership of data and ownership of experience mindset that exists in the consumer side that um, is not ready to do that yet. I think that could happen in the enterprise certainly quicker, you know, once they realize when we start dealing with more remote work issues and things like that. You know, well, I think bandwidth plays a big part in that too. And, and yeah. from a, yeah, from a, from a consumer point of view, you know, from an enterprise point of view, you've got connectivity, uh, that is, you know, very reliable. You're in mm -hmm. enterprises, so high-speed connections um, make those virtual desktop scenarios possible. In the consumer world, uh, seamless connectivity is still not a thing. You get outages, you get slowdowns, you get you get interruptions uh, uh, and such. And you know, enterprise folks are used to dealing with you know, the, the sort of caching and, uh, and uh, all of the, all the workarounds that you can have to make those things work, but they basically count on having an always on connection. And, and I think, you know, probably it's the 5G infrastructure yeah. being built out, you know, being built out to the point where you're, you're bathing in 5G all the time. And, yeah. and so, you know, uh, 
your connectivity is no longer an issue, that's when those virtual scenarios make sense. And, and like with so many things, it's easy to see the potential and they always, always, always take longer than you think they're going to take to, oh, to come to fruition. Absolutely, Ed. Although I, I will say, you know, I was on vacation last week, um, you know, during uh, Apple WWDC, you know, when, when you know, Jason was at home covering it and I was on vacation and we did our, our podcast as we're doing now. I was in a hotel room in the in on um, Isla Mirada in the Florida Keys and there was a 5G tower. I could see it in maybe a quarter mile away from me, a sub six tower. I was getting 190 megabits per second when I could. I had no Wi-Fi. So I, we were able to do our podcast. I was able to watch the, the entire Apple thing via stream, high definition streaming video on an iPad Pro, you know, the newest one uh, with the M1. And it was as if I was sitting at my desktop at home. So I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that that's going to work everywhere in the world right now, but I can certainly see the potential as to how we may be able to work in the future based on that kind of connectivity. So and, 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 and right now, I mean, I work for an organization that's 100 percent dependent on cloud resources. Like literally, if my Internet were to go down, if, if my connectivity to their resources go down, I cannot work. I literally have to say, oh, I'm done for the day. Because, you know, I use Google Apps, I use Slack, I use uh, all this stuff, uh, Jira, all this stuff that, that, we need, that I need to work as an effective office worker remotely because we, we, we are a totally virtual organization, the Linux Foundation. So everybody's distributed across the world. We have, you know, 200-something, 20 employees and, you know, maybe 40,000, you know, developers contributing to open source projects. Everybody's distributed everywhere. So I think that we have to start getting used to the fact that, yeah, we live in a connected world. We live in a, in a very cloud-dependent world, and, and and we have to treat that as we do electricity or, or air conditioning or, or or the water that comes into our house. Without those things, we can't function as a society. So I think, you know, yeah, I mean, we I think the age of, of these fat clients that have these big operating systems and big, you know, app footprints, that may be coming to an end eventually. We may see, you know, more Microsoft apps, more of a cloud-based uh, components. Um, in the future, I think, especially if we look at stuff like Office, for example, you know. So as far as Windows 11 goes, Ed, you had me at high performance ARM support. I uh, have a Surface, Surface Book Pro, absolutely loved it until I joined mm. the Insider Preview when 64-bit uh, support started rolling out and it um, has slowly slowed to a crawl and just... You Surface, know, the Surface Pro X. Yeah, sir, sorry, did I say Surface Book Pro? Yes, Surface... Pro X. You're right. Absolutely right. And um, it has, you know, the latest processor that they put in it. And, and uh, I really would love better ARM support because I think it's, it's a fantastic computer, tablet, hybrid, whatever you want to call it, two in one. And I can't wait for that ARM support to be worked out with full 64-bit support. Um, yeah. So that's that's what I'm hoping for with Windows 11. Uh, outside of you know the gaming stuff, like I said, Xbox Game Pass and, and all of that has been fantastic. I love having games available on both platforms instantly. I think that's a, um, a great advantage that Microsoft really needs to lean into because it's an advantage over Sony and PlayStation that they have that they need to, uh, like I said, lean into it a little bit more. Um, let's start with Ed. Any closing thoughts on Windows 11? When are we going to hear about it? When do you think we're going to see the first release? And, and just wrap up uh, your Windows 11 thoughts, Ed? Well, uh, so that, you know, Microsoft's big announcement is you know, big public 
uh, reveal of what they're calling the next version of Windows. You know, of course, everyone is just guessing from little hints in the invitations uh, that it's going to be called Windows 11. There's still a chance that, you know, that, that it won't be called that. But anyway, we'll find out all of that for sure on, on June 24th. Um, and then, you know, Mary Jo Foley, who is, is uh, always very tapped into sources that, uh, you know, that, that know about this stuff. Uh, she's saying, you know, the first, first release will probably come this fall. You know, there's this thing called the Windows Feature Experience Pack. Uh, that you know that sort of mysteriously appeared in Windows 10 a few years ago, and it's possible that a lot of the work that goes into Windows 11, at least the UX stuff, could be delivered through an update to the Windows Feature Experience Pack instead of actually uh, being a part of you know of uh, of the core Windows package itself. Uh, so we're likely to see those in uh, insider preview releases over the next few months with then a first public release in the in the fall. And then it's just a and then it's just a question of, you know, I, I don't see any indication that they're going to deviate from the uh, the six month release schedule that they have, especially because they've tied that into enterprise support calendars with a, you know, right. an 18 month uh, support cycle for, for one, uh, for, for so, one release and a 30 month support cycle for the others. So, you know, the enterprises are, you know, trying to get into a rhythm with this yeah. stuff. And the, about the last thing you want to do is piss off the enterprises no. by, <laughs> Makes sense. Uh, yeah, don't do not, that is, do not piss off your enterprise customers. I, I do have some questions, though. I mean, is there going to be with this a coexistence of Windows 10 and Windows 11 once this full update occurs to Windows 10 to turn it into 11, uh, you know, sort of kind of thing? Uh, because, I mean, if, if, if there's this if if 11 is what's being developed under the cadence, what happens to Windows 10? Are, are we going to start to see, are we going to see bug fixes and certain things, you know, from 11 rolled into 10, um, you know, as needed? Uh, or, or, but I, I'm assuming there will be no major changes to 10 going forward in terms of, you know, uh, you know, experience packs and things like that. At this point, is is 10 like frozen in time if, if you, it, with, with the exception of those small incremental changes? That are needed for bug fixes and security things, and and eleven becomes the main target, or or are the two going to be in cadence, updated with each other until Windows ten is considered EOL? That's that's what I don't know, quite understand at this point. Well, and you know, there, I mean, those are some of the big open questions that will get answered next week. Right. Uh, but I think there's you know there's. There's, there's a few different ways to look at that. Um, Microsoft has a lot of experience with Windows 10 supporting different versions, right? They, you know, they, I mean, at any given time, there's, there's a lot of skews. you know, like, yeah. like uh, 1803 and 1903 and 1909 and 20H2, you know, those are all being supported right now. So when the patches come out on patch Tuesday, um, they're, you know, they're bundled up and compiled into packages that target each one of those currently supported versions out there. I would expect, this is just a guess, but I would expect that the core Windows platform is going to be more or less the same across 
you know, whatever's called, whatever continues to be released is 10 and whatever becomes uh, 11, that you won't see any deviations from that. And that's just a survival mechanism. You got to, when you're delivering those patches on patch Tuesday, those are affecting things like the file system and the networking yeah. stack and, you know, authentication and stuff like that. Those features aren't going to, aren't going to change. Those are going to become common. The, um, I, I do think that you're unlikely to see any significant changes of any kind to what we think of as the Windows 10 user experience now, because, you know, going forward, there's a new user experience. That's where the development effort's going to be focused. Where the, you know, the interesting part in the middle of that is the inbox apps, which in theory can be, you know, they deliver a lot of functionality to the operating system. Those conceivably could target um, either, you know, either the current version or, you know, or the next version mm. if they're living side by side. You know, the, the, but in reality, you, you know, you can call this Windows 11, but it's really going to be Windows version uh, 21 H2. Well, 2109 or 2111, whatever, something like that. Well, they're calling know. those 20, they're, they're, they've renamed the, you know, they've got a new naming structure for them. So it'll be just be 21H2. Oh, have uh, to? Okay. Is, yeah, is what they're, you yeah. know, what they're going to call that whenever it happens to be released. And, and, and you know, and, and so, you know, what's in a name? Well, you know, it goes to 11. <laughs> right. Uh but you know, it doesn't have to be called 11. I think you're just going to see that progression. And at some point, uh, the, there will be a final semi-annual feature update to Windows 10, and then it will expire you know, in late 2024. And at that point, you know, you're on to a new thing with presumably you know, some, some things that won't work. Uh, but just it, it's, it's probably going to feel like a fairly continuous process. It's, yeah. it's certainly not going to be disruptive. Yeah, I mean, enterprises, I'm sure, are going to like take their sweet time in rolling these out. But I mean, I think the consumer base is going to be kind of like you what you expect to happen whenever, you know, Apple comes out with an iOS release. There's going to be like, yeah, I'm going to take this. And then, you know, and then suddenly most of that user base pretty much overnight becomes accepting the new version, right? Whereas in the, in the enterprise, they have different licensing agreements and things and QA processes, so they'll take longer. But effectively, we will we'll see the user base turn over faster because of, of, of the way the, that this technology is now deployed, essentially over the internet, right? Yeah, so, there's a there's a clock that start run starts running now, and it's going to run for four years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Any closing thoughts, Perlo? No, uh, you know, I, I, it, it, it's definitely good to have you know Ed here and have his perspectives on this stuff. You know, absolutely. I, I, it, it's uh, it's it's. You know, it's 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 an exciting time to be in the computer industry. Um, I'm I'm glad you know that at least we're going to at least see some new things coming down the pike for Windows, regardless of how we brand it. Right? The branding doesn't make doesn't make a difference to me. It's, it's like what are the we know things are coming. Right? It may just not come all at once. You know, that's that's the thing. Yeah, absolutely. I don't have any closing thoughts today because I want to thank our listeners. Perlo, I kind of mentioned this to you yesterday, but I have confirmed it. This is our 100th episode of Jason wow. Square. Ed, it's been great to have you on the show for our 100th episode. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Uh, 
you know, again, listeners, thank you for following us along this journey. A hundred episodes. I never thought we'd make it here, Perlo. It's Fantastic. pretty awesome. Unbelievable. I, yeah, it really is. It's been a couple of years and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's great. I, I don't know what else to say other than that. Um, please keep listening. We truly enjoy doing this podcast. So we appreciate your feedback and your interactions online. And uh, yeah, here's to a, another hundred episodes of Jason Squared. I'm Jason Cipriani. And I'm Jason Perlow. And this is Jason Squared. Thanks for listening. Make sure to check out more of our work at ZDNet.com.